Movie Junkies and Cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 318 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Gregory the Illuminator episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that uh, Gregory the Illuminator appoints his son, appointed his son, named Aristax as successor in the Patriarchate of Armenia. It's an important thing that happened in the world of religion, and it happened back in 318. That's right, folks. 318. And with that wonderful little bit of Gregory the Illuminator knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, the somewhat Illuminator. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim, or slightly frustrated, even more annoyed, Tim. <laughs> Tim the Annoyed. Tim the Annoyed. And Matt the Illuminator, was it? Uh, well, the, the, the somewhat Illuminator. I, I make no bones to be as cool as uh, the head of the Armenian apostolic, apostolic Church, St. Gregory the Illuminator. At any rate, how the hell are you? Why are you irritated? Well, uh, it was announced today, and today, of course, is Monday, February, 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 the 11th, 2019, and it was revealed today by the Academy. The Academy unveils the four Oscar categories that will not be presented on TV during the actual broadcast but these four Oscar categories will be presented during commercial breaks, and apparently the winners, their speeches will air later on during the broadcast. But of course, we don't know what that means. That could be at the end when all the credits are going, and they do a little montage of the acceptance speeches. I don't know, but there is a little Hollywood Reporter article here, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it, just put this into context. Academy unveils the four Oscar categories to be presented during commercial breaks, written by Greg Kilday, and it says this, In a break with tradition, the Academy Awards in four categories will be presented during commercial breaks when the 91st Oscars are broadcast by ABC on February 24th. The affected categories are cinematography, film editing, live-action short, and makeup and hairstyling. While the Academy's Board of Governors approved a plan in August to present some sort of the 24 award categories during breaks in order to reduce the show's running time to three hours, it had not been known which categories would be presented under the new format, which attracted criticism complaining that it would mean a downgrade for some categories. In an email to the group's membership on Monday, Academy President John Bailey laid out the plan for this year's show. He emphasized that the Academy is, quote, still honoring the achievements of all 24 awards on the Oscars, end quote, in the case of the four categories that will be announced during commercial breaks, the winning speeches will air later in the broadcast, he said. Additionally, Bailey explained, quote, 
With the help of our partners at ABC, we also will stream these four award presentations online for our global fans to enjoy live, along with our audience. Fans will be able to watch on Oscar.com and on the Academy's social channels. The live stream is a first for our show and will help further awareness and promotion of these award categories. And all quotes there. The article does go on for a bit more. What do well, you think okay. about this? Uh, this is crazy. Well, now, now, you didn't tell me. See, I, I feel a little... I feel like, uh, you know, a little kicked in the gut here. I, I was ready with my pitchfork and torch. I was with you. I was in solidarity. And then you told me there's a live stream. An uninterrupted live stream. Now, is it a live stream of the entire thing? We don't know. But they said they just said that everything that is not going to be on TV will be on the live stream because they're going to present as they go. But I'm also not going to be sitting in front of my computer watching the damn Oscars. But quite a lot of people will. I'm sure also, they will. But then you, I mean, quite, you have a lot of Quite a lot of people will do it on their phones or their tablets or their laptops and stuff like that. You know what? You're absolutely right. And that is the reason why they're doing this, because a lot of the people that they're trying to attract to watch the Oscars are the type of people that would. There are a lot of people like me. There are a lot of people that I know from work, from in the industry. They just want to watch it on TV. And, it, you know, that stuff's just a little frustrating. The only reason why that they're wanting to mix things up is to keep the broadcast down to at least three hours. Which is fine. One would think that without a host, the broadcast could easily be within three hours. So you just wonder, like, what else could they be doing? Well, I mean, I mean, you don't have a host to comment on certain things. You don't have a host to make jabs towards certain people. Are they going to do 10-minute iterations of every single show every single song that's nominated for the academy award are they going to be are they going to do uh a longer clips of every single film that's nominated for best picture if so that is not what people are clamoring for they don't want to know even more about a film that's nominated they just wanted the entire program to be condensed to at least three hours Actually, a lot of people would rather it be down to only two hours. I mean, the reasoning behind all of it is just silly. And again, I also don't want to be in front of my phone, in front of my computer, especially since I'm, you know, with work and everything, I'm always on my phone and always on my computer. Well, that's fair enough. But I mean, there are a lot of devices now, uh, like Roku's and other and sling boxes and stuff like that that are available now that will actually provide you with streaming feeds uh, and the ability to do that kind of stuff uh, and use apps and what have you that will allow that. So like, for example, if the Oscars created their own app, uh, you could use that. You could get that on your Roku and then sit in your living room and watch it on your TV. If one has a Roku. Well, I mean... Roku start at twenty nine ninety nine, but it doesn't. I mean, I don't need one. That's the thing. I don't need one to do anything else. I enjoy doing. It's just when it comes down to it, it's it's really it's you, the principle. You enjoy of the well. Thing. I don't. I, I think at this point we have to 
we have to look at the reality of you, you like the tradition, which in and of itself is, um, is, exists as such because of its longevity and because of how it's grown over the 91 years it's been presented. But at the same time, people, the vast majority of people just don't consume their media like that anymore. And so their choices are very rapidly becoming stand someone up there and just read off the nominees and announce the winners for two hours because this way you could do it and just rattle off all the nominees and the, and the, and, and the winners and give everybody two minutes for an acceptance speech. And then that's it. But clearly they want to do stuff that will provide some context and give people something to look at other than just, you know, and now, uh, you know, Ben Stein getting up there, you know, director, director right but of course we don't know exactly what they're wanting to do true true and 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 the unknown quantity of course makes a lot of makes for a lot of headache but i do think that there is something to be said for the fact that year over year the audience the viewing audience is dwindling and so it's not because they hate these categories that they're doing this, they're just trying to figure out a way to get people to watch. And I can appreciate that aspect. Now, if they were not in, I mean, in my book, it is still very disappointing. I want you to, I mean, I cannot understate that I, I, I do believe it is still extremely disappointing that they're not doing it on the TV show, but or on the telecast rather. But the fact that there's a live feed where we can potentially view all of this stuff and still see it in its full and true glory makes me feel a little bit better. I, I guess I just, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's well, you have people. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's disappointing. I mean, because you're, you're literally it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right. But you have the people that are in the industry as either cinematographers or editors. Sure. And since this came out, there's been a lot of quotes and a lot of little tiny write-ups and blurbs on Twitter and social media and all that crap from these same people. And a lot of them have said that what got them interested in not only film, but in the profession that they have been nominated for awards for was because of the Oscars. And maybe not really planning on watching the entire thing while, you know, they just happened to be flipping through the channels and they ended up on the Oscars and just decided to watch that. I think one of the main reasons why having an app or having to log on to your computer to specifically go and watch this thing is because there's a lot of people that aren't going to do it unless they are interested in seeing the completed program. The people that are complaining about the telecast running way too long are not going to have any interest in logging in to do it. Or, or, excuse me, or aren't going to have any interest of going and looking it up on their computer or going to Roku or whichever way they can access the live stream. With these technical awards like editing and cinematography, makeup and hairstyling, a certain degree for live action short, if you're not accustomed to watching short films, 
maybe you'd be impressed by, oh, hey, you know, a lot of thought and a lot of talent goes into telling a 20 minute story in film. But like cinematography, editing, people that are not trained in cinema, people who are the casual viewer understand what good cinematography is. They understand good editing. They know good makeup. And people can comment on it and have a conversation about the look of a film, even if they can't reference any any technical aspects, you know, anything specific. And it's kind of a shame that that won't be readily available in the live telecast. Because you know when people are going to be referencing it, like in the history books even, People are going to be referencing the telecast. People are not going to be referencing the live stream. So I think that's just mainly where I stand as to why it's just more than an annoyance, I suppose, for me. But I do. I mean, you're right. It's a sign of the times that changes need to be made. But I think how they're going about it is not the correct way. And I'm not saying this is how it's going to be for years to come who knows if this this might flop and they realize that they did something stupid i i don't know or you know what maybe it'll work in their benefit and that's just how it's going to be for now on i truly feel it's a catch-22 in this particular scenario i i mean because i don't i personally don't know of any other way for them to increase the knowledge of the audience beforehand to get them excited about seeing all of the technical categories. And maybe, maybe the answer in something weird, I just came kind of popped into my head. Maybe the answer is to split the Oscars into two nights and literally two different Sundays where they have the technical awards on one night and then the mainstream awards on the other night where you can do say a two hour show of each. So now you're collectively looking at four hours, but they can take that time to have cool discussions or have really neat, you know, the really heavy hitters of Hollywood, like, for example, you, you come out with Tom Hanks to talk about film editing and stuff like that. Uh, you come out with Spielberg to talk about cinematography and stuff like that. Um, so that people will want to see it because they're, they're going to see these big stars still come up and talk and do all this cool stuff. Um, and then they get to see the awards. This way you get kind of the best of both worlds without having to try and cram it in all in one night. Do you feel that they're in some way going the route of the Grammys, where it's all about the show and all about the performance, opposed to actually, you know, maybe you'll learn something type of deal? Maybe. I don't honestly don't even know if I've ever watched a Grammy ceremony or awards ceremony where it wasn't presented in the way it is now. Granted, I don't know if I've ever watched any Grammy Awards pre-15, 20 years ago or so. Right. I, I haven't watched the Grammys in a very long time myself. But at least but the difference is, is that it's a lot easier to put on a show when it comes to music 
than it is with movies because you can have in a three hour telecast, you can have 25 different songs get played, right? Medley's notwithstanding. So that means you can get 25 different artists to come out there and put on a show for two and a half minutes and space it out throughout the entire award ceremony. And then boom, now you've got a show and then you get all that stuff. It's just easier to do because the format, because of the format. I mean, radio play and, and singles. And even when you're not thinking of radio as, you know, we used to think of it, it's still done with ideas of singles being cut and albums being presented in a particular manner. So it's easy to cut a song down and just make it fun for whatever they need to make it. You just simply can't do that with a movie. It's it's impossible to do that. So you have to figure out other ways. And so I think that's where they're putting the spectacle and the show and all that kind of stuff in it with the big opening number and all that kind of stuff. And then trying to have biting uh, commentary throughout to keep people interested. I mean, it's just a completely different beast. I don't know. But I mean, if we think about it, when the Academy Awards started, it was a banquet dinner. I mean, they just presented the awards as they went and then they would announce the winners as they would go over the radio. And it, I mean, it wasn't until the fifties that they finally really got into TV proper. I don't know. It's crazy. Long story short, it's crazy. And they're damned if they do and they're damned <laughs> if they don't. So how are you doing, Matt? Well, I'm confused now. <laughs> uh, but. I know I don't have any news because I knew we had initially we had some movies we needed to cover, but I do know that I am sure you probably have the Albert Finney knowledge. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I wasn't planning on doing anything because I was out of town, folks. I have been out of town dealing with some uh, personal matters. I wasn't able to watch a lot of the films that Matt will be covering other than two of the documentaries. However, Matt did share with me on February 8th that Albert Finney passed away, and he sent an article via BBC.com, Obituary Albert Finney, and of course, this is from February 8th, and it says this, Albert Finney, who has died at the age of 82, came to prominence in the era of angry young men. It was a period that transformed the face of British theater and cinema from the mid-50s. He switched effortlessly between blustering roles, such as when he played Winston Churchill in performances of great wit, charm, and elegance. Powerfully built, he had the resonant voice beloved of earlier generations of stage actors. Albert Finney was born in Salford, Lancashire on May 9th, 1936. His father, known as Honest Albert, ran a bookmaking business, and Finney never abandoned his working-class roots, saying, quote, It's part of you. It's in the blood, really, end quote. Finney acquired a taste for acting while studying at Salford Grammar School, and won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. He worked first with Birmingham Repertory Theater before moving on to the Old Vic and National Theater. Finney says, quote, I was dead lucky. It was one of the leading reps in the country, end quote. 
His first stage appearance was in 1958 in Jane Arden's The Party, which was directed by Charles Lawton, who also starred. A year later, the young Albert was at Stafford, where he replaced an ill Laurence Olivier in the role of Coriolanus. In 1960, he appeared alongside Olivier in his first film, The Entertainer, directed by Tony Richardson. Based on a play by John Osborne, it was an example of a new gritty style of British filmmaking that became known as Kitchen Sink Drama. Its heroes were invariably working class, the backdrops often that of northern England, and it explored themes of social alienation. Finney's next film, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, gave him a starring role as a young factory worker who was disillusioned with his lot. The plot, based on a novel by Alan Silito, featured extramarital sex and abortion, earning it an X certificate from the British Board of Film Censors. Then he says, quote, I remember in terms of these sex, there were great discussions because the law then was you had to have one foot on the floor. And all quotes there. The article does go on for quite a bit more. Do check it out. BBC.com obituary Albert Finney. What was the first Albert Finney movie you saw, Matt? Or was there one that really kind of caught your attention where you knew his face from then on out? It really was. Uh, it really was Annie. That's why that it was not in any way, shape, or form irony or snark or anything. It really was uh, Daddy Warbucks was the first time I ever saw Albert Finney in anything. Yeah, I remember seeing Scrooge as a kid in Tom Jones. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I saw, uh, sure, I saw tons of stuff with him in it after that. But, I mean, for me, it always was Annie. And this, and the whole, and, and my favorite part of the whole Annie movie is when he and Carol Burnett have their sign right here, uh, duet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, that, that's my absolute favorite part of the whole movie. It, it's, it's just always stuck with me. Uh, you know, I'm 41 years old and I still remember being a little six year old kid and wanting to be Daddy Warbucks. Well, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Daddy Warbucks. That's right. I want to be a billionaire industrialist that doesn't exist from a cartoon and a comic book. And that's all I have to say about that. I guess that's our news. Makeshift news. Weird news. Makeshift news. Yeah. Our makeshift news. Yeah, indeed. Well, so then I suppose without further ado, we will go ahead and get to the movie section of the show, right? Let's do it. Let's make this episode so damn awkward because we're doing it so much so, already. So weirdly, indeed. Here we go, folks. It's the movie. We And this week's movies are Border, Capernaum, Never Look Away, Hale County, This Morning, This Evening, and Of Fathers and Sons. So, Tim, now I know that due to the personal uh, things in life that you only got to see the two documentaries. So, do we want to do, like, one you didn't see, one that you did, one you didn't see, one that you did, one that you didn't see? Do we want to do all the ones you didn't see first, or do we want to do the ones you did see first? 
whatever you feel up to, if you want to knock out all the I ones mean, I, I can didn't knock see. Them all, I mean, I, yeah, I can absolutely knock them all out in a row here if you like. Yeah, go for it. All right, so that's what we're going to do. So the the three films that uh, we're going to be talking about are foreign films, although Border, while submitted as the foreign film nomination for Sweden, was not chosen. Uh, it was nominated for makeup and hairstyling. Uh, the other two films, Capernaum and Never Look Away, are best foreign language film, uh, nominees. In addition, Never Look Away is also best cinematography. So, we got, we got a lot of ground to cover here. So we're gonna start with, uh, and, and since all of these are clearly foreign films, we will have no trailers, so just bear with me as we go. I think we'll do them for fun. We'll do them in alphabetical order. <laughs> So we start with Border, a 2018 Swedish fantasy film directed by Al, uh, Ali Abbasi. And the screenplay is written by Abbasi, Isabella Ekhoff, and John, uh, Ashvid Lindqvist, uh, Lindqvist. I can't, I can say it right. Lindqvist. Um, and it's actually based on a, s- a short story, um, uh, by Lindqvist, who was the same person who did, uh, let the right one in. And so if you are familiar with that vampire story uh, that was remade called Let Me In it, when it was done in, in the American version, you know you're already in for a treat. Now what we have here uh, is a movie that stars uh, Eva Melander, Eero Milanoff, uh, Jorgen Thorsen, and Petrin and Sten Lundgren. We've got uh, a, a a young woman by the name of Tina, and who is played by Eva Melander, and she works as she's a border guard. But what she has is this weird ability to be able to sniff out bad people. Who, who I mean, it's almost like she sniffs out shame or disgust or fear, and is able to zero in on it and find things that people are bringing across that they shouldn't be. And in her, in the course of her duty, she uncovers a child porn ring. And so shortly after this, after she discovers this child porn ring, we have a new character who introduces himself. Uh, his name is Vor, and he's played by Iro Milnov. And this guy shows up and uh, his opening number is presenting her with a bag that has maggots in it. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, these are, these, these things are great. You should totally check it out. And he kind of goes off on his own way. They end up kind of talking and hanging out. Um, and seemingly disgusting things happen. Tina lives with this guy named Roland, uh, played by Jorgen Thorson. Um, she's, you know, not really happy living with this guy, but it's just kind of the way it plays out. Um, they end up kind of getting to know one another, Vor and Tina, especially after the maggot thing. Everybody really gets to know Vor quickly. Remember, this is a border crossing. And, um, or like, you know, customs, that kind of stuff. So what you end up having, having is Vor kind of bringing Tina out of her shell with an amazing surprise. And to be clear, this film is a fairy tale. So while it does have all of the amazing stylings and writings that you get from uh, Let the Right One In, 
you've also got a really cool adult dark fairy tale that is very much in the vein of Pan's Labyrinth. So this film, I think, is just absolutely outstanding. It's so dark, it's deep, it's twisted, it works on a lot of different levels, and it really and truly speaks to not just using a fairy tale as an allegory for something, but using the fairy tale to to basically say what is what is true and what is right about emotion and I, and i don't just limit it to what we think of as emotion but the idea of emotion and how it can translate across all different kinds of things and how that ends up translating into the film on the whole, I give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. I think it is a fantastic movie. I think that the only drawback to the film, and there's really only one, is that I think that they play into particular tropes, and, and I am absolutely trying not to spoil anything because it's important not to... Uh, to, to let you watch it and then kind of get the reveal for yourself. Um, in, in certain aspects of the fairy tale style, I think that they kind of overplay their hand for the sake of going, Oh, look at this particular type of fairy tale character trope. Um, and so they kind of overdo it. I think it's more overdone actually in the earlier part of the film versus the latter part of the film. And other than that, I think it's a fantastic movie and you should check it out. So it's a 4.5 out of 5 for me. Moving into Capernaum, well, which is a 2018 Lebanese film. This is drama. It's written and directed by Nadine Labaki. And this film stars Zayn Al-Rifa, Jordanos Shifara, uh, Bolu Waitif Treasure and Benkole. Now, what we have here are people who, and this is interesting. This is a, this film kind of exists in the realm of not quite guerrilla filmmaking, but definitely filmmaking with a statement behind it. And so the idea of the statement is to showcase the realism of the story being told because despite it being a story, it is meant to touch on truly real life situations. And so the actors and actresses are not professional actors and actresses on the whole. Um, so it's, um, so, so it's, it's, it's very, it's very decent. But basically what we have is a boy named Zane and he's a Lebanese boy about 12 years old who is basically suing his parents for bringing him into the world and his world is, is terrible to a lot, to a large degree. And yet there are still avenues of value to his life. And the movie just kind of tells the story of his life and why he thinks his parents, um, should be condemned for bringing him into the world. Um, even to the point that he feels his parents should not be allowed to have any further children. 
And so I, I, what, what I think makes the, the movie so compelling is I think Zane himself for being so young really just does a fantastic job of being a kid in an impossible situation that somehow you can relate to. And I don't mean that you relate to him in a literal way. Uh, most of you are, most of us are not from <laughs> the, the part of the world that the film takes place in and don't have the economic realities that they're facing in the film. But just the way we define our struggle with life and how we look at the people who shaped us to be the way that we are. And sometimes that shaping can be done by things like abuse or neglect or mis misidentified and misplaced love. And it's interesting to see on what notes you can resonate with this. The only failing for me on this film is that I think the acting in and of itself is a little choppy, but I mean, it still is very, very well crafted. And honestly, I think it's really um, to the credit of Nadine for being able to uh, Nadine Labaki, the director to being able to get these performances out. Now, again, this one might've been one that was saved in editing too. We may never know. See, this is why it's important to have editing at the Oscars. Um, but I got to hand it to the film on the whole acting's kind of wonky in places, but the story is really cool and I like how it resonates. So that is also a 4.5 movie for me. Finally in the foreign film role in the world of foreign films, we have got Never Look Away, which is German. Uh, it's directed by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. And it actually stars Tom Schilling, Sebastian Koch, uh, and Paula, or Koch, rather, and then Paula Beer. Uh, this movie is actually loosely, loosely inspired by a guy named Germ uh, uh, Gerhard Richter, who is a painter. Uh, he's alive today, but he was, um, grew up in World War II. And it follows a young guy named Kurt as he grows up through the Nazi regime. And then, of course, after the Russians take over, uh, he finds himself in East Germany. And so he falls in love with, um, uh, Elizabeth and, um, this girl named Elizabeth. And of course, the interesting thing is, is that his aunt, who's also named Elizabeth, was killed by his love interest, Elizabeth's father. Dun, dun, dun. Because Elizabeth's father uh, was a Nazi. He's actually in a lot of trouble until he's able to kind of twist events to his, uh, to his merit, which gets him out of trouble. Um, shenanigans ensue. It's an art movie, struggles of growing up and defining yourself through art, uh, lots of nudity and sex and all that kind of visceral stuff. But uh, I will say that the cinematography is really, really good. Uh, it's a period piece, clearly. And I don't know, it, it's strong performances, certainly. But I feel like it's just kind of been done 
enough. And so while it's very solidly executed all the way around, it's not really anything that I feel you haven't truly seen before. But cinematography is still strong, and I think it's a good foreign film on the whole, so I give this one a 4 out of 5. And that, ladies and gentlemen, gets us through all those foreign films, Border, Capernaum, and Never Look Away. And if I had to pick a, an absolute winner among them, I would, even though I gave them both the same scores, I would still say Border before Capernaum. And that brings us to Hale County this morning, this evening. Which I don't really see the point of putting a trailer in for this either. Uh, Based on how uh, the documentary is constructed, I really don't know what kind of uh, trailer (laughs) it has available. Um, So what this is, is uh, this is a, um, it is a, I guess you could say, whether whether or not you want it to be, it is a tour de force of avant-garde filmmaking and visual storytelling by Ramel Ross. Now, uh, th- th- that kind of goes over the lives of um, black people as a whole in Hale County, Alabama, but zeroing in on a few people here and there. And the people that are f- focused in on are a couple of young men and women who are trying to get their lives started. But even down to a, a small child is also one of the focuses of the film. Uh, what's his name? Kyrie or something, I think. Um, It's like a little two-year-old baby. I mean, you know, they're just kind of following. It's just to look at the the intergenerational dynamics that are given. Um, I I think that the... I, I think that this film is... A little overrated, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that there are some really subtle things that are done in the film. Uh, for instance, right around the 20 minute mark of the film, uh, you're, you're watching an overlay. Or actually, you're not even watching an overlay. I'm sorry. You're listening to an overlay in sound. It's kind of this morning sunrise and you're just seeing cotton just nothing but fields of unprocessed cotton it's just flowing cotton in the wind and what you're hearing is like a basketball game these cheerleaders are at a basketball game and you hear the girls cheering and they're doing all their little cheer routines and people are clapping and stuff like that but you've you've already heard the sound once before and and it's kind of repeating this one little 30 45 second snippet of mu- uh, of sound and it's and so you already know these are black cheerleaders at this basketball game and you're just watching just watching this cotton field go by just acres upon acres probably easily maybe even a few square miles of cotton and i'm I, and as you're kind of wondering after about 40 seconds of this what what does it all mean why is it there just vaguely in the background, nestled in some trees, you can see an old plantation mansion. And it's right then that you realize 
that what you're seeing is an actual slave plantation from Hale in you know from Alabama and you're hearing the legacy of the slaves of Hale County now as sharp and as astute as that is it's one of the very few times that the, that the movie actually connects in that way that really is super smart that is something that is so clever that might even induce repeat viewings the rest of the time so shall we say 80 to 85 percent of the rest of the movie is just somewhat in my opinion obnoxious shots done in done in like air quotes here interesting perspectives to showcase life in this county and yet it also doesn't acknowledge certain aspects of life in this county by black people in this county um and so it it feels slightly slightly and i need to stress the word slightly disingenuous in some aspects because of that and also because the style of filmmaking and the cinematography and the way the questions are asked, which really just printed on a screen, um, they don't always connect. They don't always land. And it just kind of feels slow and awkward. Um, as a result, I just did not like this movie. I think there are some really neat questions that get asked. I think there are a few moments in the film that are truly amazing, but they get lost in a sea of, for me, mundacity. And I give this one a two. Now, I fee I fully understand that for the most part, I am in the minority. This has a 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. You can't hardly find a bad a person who has, has something bad to say about this film. Um, I just, it simply did not resonate with me. And I don't feel that it is worth all the critical praise it's getting, despite some glimpses of really, really amazing filmmaking. So at the end of the day, I still give it a two. What you got there, Tim? Pretty much during the entire runtime, I kept asking myself, am I missing something? What am I not getting here? What is this movie trying to say? Because the documentary is strictly observational. The documentarian is there capturing life. Granted, like what Matt was saying, there are some very interesting shots. There are glimmers of wonderful, beautiful humanity. And you're watching some interesting folk live out their lives. I can see some beauty in that, most definitely. But there also needs to be a point. And I just really don't think there necessarily was. Because I tried to find it. You know, I even rewatched part of the movie in hoping to get a better understanding. And and really, it seemed like if I wasn't already a cultured person, if I didn't spend some time in the South, if I didn't study history, if I wasn't in tune with certain aspects of culture and where people are on the totem pole of class, of society... If I wasn't already aware of that and understood it and studied it, 
then maybe I could see where this movie could have been more effective. I don't know. I'm just trying to find something to legitimize why everybody loves this film. Now, maybe if I was able to see it at the movie theater, I don't know, maybe it's a movie theater type of flick, but I can't give it any more than a three out of five. I was never really bored by it, but it just felt like I started watching somebody's home video. But even home videos have a point to them. And it's a little more clear than this. So three out of five. Fair enough. All right. Well, then that's going to leave us with of Fathers and Sons, which is another documentary. But this one is also foreign. So <laughs> no trailers this week, y'all. Just none. No trailers. Uh, all right. So um, uh, Talal Derki is a is the filmmaker here. He's uh, the director or whatever, but uh, he basically kind of went undercover and he is pretending to be a photojournalist who leans towards Salafi jihadism. And he gains a little bit of street cred, if you will, enough that the Osamas um, are willing to take him in. Uh, and this, by the way, is the Osama family, Osama bin Laden. Yes, this Osama family. Um, and it is following the patriarch Abu and a couple of his children, uh, Ayaman, uh, or Ayman and Osama. Yes, Osama, Osama. Uh, and watches them as they go through life in this village. And of course, these are people who are fighting, um, close to the Syrian front line, basically, for in, in the Syrian civil war. Uh, Abu is hugely a fan of everything that the world is going through all the strife because he thinks that it's going to cause the it's actually going to go ahead and cause the um oh what am i thinking of the third the basically a, like a like the apocalypse there you go he he thinks it's going to bring on the apocalypse the holy war that attend all wars and so he's all for it he thinks the september 11th attacks were great whatever and you're watching him as he tries and shapes his children's lives and then what the children end up doing as they go. Uh, this film it, it was very difficult to watch, but I think it was difficult in a good way. Um, and I think it is important to see movies like this get made and i'm glad that it's it's a well-crafted enough movie that it was nominated but um it's just kind of heartbreaking to watch because we view these people as the bad guys and while one of his sons maybe doesn't quite 
like everything that's happening and one of his sons does, we still view everything that come, almost everything that comes out of there just on its face as these people being the bad guys. And yet to them, we're the bad guys. And it just kind of really starts making you ask some questions. And it's not about politics, not even about policy. Just what does it mean to be the bad guy to someone else? And I think that's the real strength of this film. You're watching the indoctrination. You're watching the jihadism. You're watching all of this kind of stuff go on. You're watching some questions get asked that should be asked, but maybe they're asked too late. And it still ultimately doesn't matter because even though the questions that might need to be asked that get asked too late are still framed from a narrative that paints us as the audience says the bad guys and so i think it's a good film i do think it kind of sensationalizes some things just to just for the sake of sensationalizing them just to kind of provide little gotchas in there and so that's why i give this one a four out of five but i do think it's a very important documentary i do think it's good and i think you should watch it bring us home tim i'm impressed with the access to the osama family granted to the director, Talal Durki. But the film, while watching it, more than just a handful of times, I had a lot of questions of its legitimacy because it seems like there was a lot of stuff that this guy witnessed that he did not capture in the film. I don't know if, I mean, did you feel that way at all? Like maybe not, I'm not saying necessarily that this was all just an Oscar ruse that maybe this guy had a deal with a family, but it seemed like he would have witnessed or he could have witnessed some other horrific stuff that he didn't put in the film because maybe he would have been implicated in some way for being associated. I have no doubt. I mean, that he... I don't think he personally participated in anything, but I do think he absolutely had to have witnessed some stuff. And I think that it was, that is the price he has to pay for being able to provide us with this documentary. I mean, if you, I mean, going back to the close of the documentary, even as he talks about leaving this place and going home and his, basically his life is never going to be the same. And, there's a like an aspect of destruction or something that he's never going to be able to get over. I can't remember something about something like that. And I think it's because of what he saw. I, I I'm sure he did, I, but I'd be willing to bet that they also wouldn't let him film everything either. Um, I think they, I think he had to stick with the family he was with and that's why he kept the narrative the way that he did. I totally agree with you. I'm sure he saw some shit, but what are you going to do? He can't sit there and go, oh, well, brothers, that might be a little too far. No, I mean, he can't, he, I mean, he can't do that. They just kill him, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, quite literally in this case. So he's got right. to, I mean, he's got to stay the course. And I think he, he think he did. It's been a while since I saw it, but I, I'm trying to, I don't remember him talking a lot 
during the film, like providing narration, but he definitely makes a point. And I do remember at the very end, he makes it a point to show how affected he was in a rather dramatic way, uh, a very cinematic dramatic way, I thought. But honestly, this movie would have benefited a great deal if he even took the Werner Herzog approach, where he puts things more into perspective, not necessarily giving his opinions because a good documentarian doesn't fully impose on the viewing experience, but it would have, I think would have helped kind of guide things along just a little bit. So we all knew where everybody stood like, okay, this guy is still not the greatest guy. Oh, but this kid, there's a little humanity there. I, I don't know. Like, I think my viewing experience would have benefited from the Werner Herzog flourishes, I guess, when he when he does his narration. But it's a very interesting documentary. I am just very conflicted with it. I do give it a 3.5 out of 5, though. It's important for people to see because it definitely adds a fresh perspective on what's happening on the ground in Syria from the other side. And it would just be interesting to hear more, you know, what other people think about it. Right on, right on. Okay, well then that brings us to the end of the movies. And because of our format for getting into the Oscars, next week's movies are nothing. You get nothing. Good day, sir. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to be going over all of the Oscar nominees. We're going to go through each one, all the, uh, all the categories that we cover that are important to us, which are going to be obviously more than what will be televised, much to Tim's chagrin. And that is what we'll be covering for 319. So we will be back with some more movies on episode 3. 20. If you are going to hang in for those, there'll be the Lego Movie 2, the second part, and Alita Battle Angel. Yeehaw. And I guess that leaves us with the spiel, right? <laughs> spiel on. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. It's it's a cutting cutting say cutting me some slack. Chomp don't wanna help. Chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang. Say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NetTwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, we'd love for you to do that head on over to patreon.com and check us out there and so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to albert finney i get to say this i don't think that we necessarily lie i mean we make our living by pretending that we're someone else i don't tell tall tales i always tell the truth 
Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. 